When you walk through the garden. To the fans of The Wire, Clark Peters is better known as Detective Lester Freeman, a measured, exacting, and intellectual police officer. Probably one of the most honorable characters on the show. These days, Clark spends most of his time in London, working as an actor in the vibrant world of theater that exists on the West End. When he has a chance, he comes back to his home he bought in Baltimore. During the period of his life, he devoted to The Wire. The spacious row house became a hangout for the cast and crew. Many even moved in themselves during the season of filming, and I could understand why, as I stopped by to catch up with Clark one recent morning and fell right into the ease of his home. I started out by asking him about Baltimore. You've kind of fallen in love with this city, haven't you? It's, the, it's, it's got so much potential. You know, and it's got history, and it's got culture, you know, and there's, there's a... There's a dark side, well, there's a, 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 when I say dark, I don't mean dark in a negative sense, but a, a dark as in the shadows, you know, of culture that is just not being hit, you know, the artists, the artist community around here, you mm -hmm. know, uh, the painters, you know, I'm just, I'm blown away with it, you know, uh, my friend Larry Scott, who passed away this year, you know, that's Larry's, I've got a bunch of his stuff around here as well, and I'm just... Uh, it feels like how I imagined my father's experience of Greenwich Village was back in the 50s, you know, where there was, a, there was poetry and there was jazz and there was art. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that Baltimore has got that, you know, but I think it's in the shadows, you know. In the shadows. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not a, it needs to come on out even more. When Reggie was here, he was a, uh, he was playing his Barry, his Barry up on the up on the uh, up on the balcony one day, and he's going over the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And then one day I'm sitting here and I hear two horns, and there's someone across the alley, man, with a trumpet, answering him. I'm thinking, this is <laughs> I love that. This is it, man. <laughs> this is it. You know? Oh shoot, you don't get stuff like that anywhere else. It's just manageable enough as a city to have those kind of moments, you know, and uh, and just put a real nice atmosphere up. Yeah. yeah, I dig it. I dig it. You know, Bob Wisdom said to me once, he said that, that he said the about the stuff in the wire, I want to come back to what you were saying, but I'm, I'm going to come back this way. Mm -hmm. The Bob was said to me that one of the things about the wire, he said, that blew him away was there's never been a place in TV, film in America where so much black talent gathered in one place at one time. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And, um, and subsequently, it made all of us a sort of, in particular, storylines, made us all feel like uh, actors on a mission, telling a story that needed to be told. And although <clears throat> that first season you see uh, a lot of black faces, that second season, the subject matter moved to the docks and to a white neighborhood, you know. And David was right when he said, uh, The Wire is a story of a city. It's not just about the Barksdales or about uh, uh, Avon. Or, you know, it's about all the stuff that happens here. And bringing all this talent together was just, uh, was wonderful. You know, I, you know, just more of that, please, more of that. You know, because of that, 
you know, we could have discussions like that here, you know, uh, and have dinners around, you know, where we don't, we don't, uh, it seems like as, as, a, as a community of, of black actors, we don't, uh, we don't get a lot of time to exercise our intellect, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, you're always chasing either the gig, you know, or, or, or whatever, and so it was, um, it was en enriching, you know, having, you know, brothers and sisters here talking, you know, and it wasn't, and it was, you know, it was history, it was politics, and it wasn't all about, oh, I'm tired of white dude kicking my ass, and this, you know, <laughs> it wasn't all that, you know, it was, it, it, and it was, you know, like, you know, somebody would say, well, like, you know, Amsterdam, you know, uh, yeah, that's a damn good idea. You could see how that could work, you know, in a city like this, <clears throat> and probably only in a city like this, because it's small enough and it's manageable enough to monitor something like that. You couldn't do it in like New York, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could do it in Philadelphia because the cities are so big and sprawling like that. But you know, for like here, you know, so uh, having all that black talent wasn't just about the talent; it was also about all those minds coming together and, and from these different walks of life. You know, uh, you know, some from the Caribbean, you know, some mixed, you know, some Native American ties, you know, some African ties. Uh, you know, some with high school education, some with, with, you know, with college degrees, you know, with everybody, like mixing and, and rapping was a beautiful thing, you know, more of that. Who lived here in the beginning? Who, who, who? I got this from, <laughs> I got this from uh, uh, the Johns Hopkins lacrosse, males lacrosse team. They were here, right? And when I got in, there was the American flag and Bud Light things all over there, uh, naked women on <laughs> it was like a frat house you know and the uh, the helmets out on the back and the paintball shots where they were shooting the rats in the back <laughs> it was all good it was good would you say that a collection like a bunch of actors came and lived here in the beginning with you in this house yeah it was just a uh, um, actually it was John Doman it was uh, uh, Reggie Cathay and uh Say Presbyluski, Jim Trufrost. So the four of us were here. Um, last year it was again Reggie, um, Neil, and Karen Thorson, you know, one of our producers who was here. You know, so um, there would have been a lot more had I been here to manage it even better. But like you know, I just uh. <laughs> I'm an actor. I'm not that much of a landlord. And if if you want to. Come and hang, you know, I'm up for that, you know. It'll cost you this much. <laughs> Help out with the, with the food and the heat and you're cool. <laughs> that's good, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what made me think, like, Nick, if I had next door, damn, I could really turn this into a nice thing. You know, a really nice vibe. Yeah. You, you have to just have to move those people out, right? Well, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a nice kid. He's a, uh, he's from... Um, from Sri Lanka, and he's a uh, oh. a hip hop uh, producer, you know. And his mother was a teacher, uh, I think, someplace in, in um, Annapolis, you know. But um, that's funny. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Little corners we don't know about in this in this town. That's, that's really what I dig about Baltimore. That's yeah, there's all kinds of stories here. Yeah, that's you know? right. And that's that's, right. that's part of what we've been talking about doing. Our next, the next, the next step. Mm -hmm. Well, when you did, um, David and, and uh, Ed were saying to me that the actors had a lot to do with who their characters were. 
what they did to kind of bring him to the fore. And mm-hmm. and both David and, and Ed focused a lot on your character. They they thought about your characters being emblematic of a mm-hmm. of what was right about the police and what was yes. And yeah. Uh, yeah. in some senses, you know, it, it was like the kind of vision of Ed Burns in the sense of... Mm-hmm. I asked Ed who... Um, everybody seemed to have uh, a character to go to, to, to study. You know, Bunk does exist, and so Wendell could hang out with Bunk. Um, you know, uh, McNulty could hang out with anybody. <laughs> you know. Um, so I asked Ed one day... Um, I was really feeling on the outside. I think this uh, in the second season. I said, "Like who, who, who is Freeman based on?" And uh, Ed's face dropped. He said, "Well, I, I thought he was sort of based on me." <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that worked. That's the that works for me, Ed. Because yeah, a lot of love to this brother. You know, a lot of respect for this man and what he's done with his life. You know, um, and respect for the path that he's trying to walk in this in this jungle of deceit. You know, to try to keep it straight. You know, and I think that uh, you know when when people level a, uh, a negative accusation at the um, at the uh, at the wire, <clears throat> I think that uh, they're not looking at characters like Freeman who. Are trying to do the right thing, you know, uh, or like any of them who do who are not corrupt cops, but trying to maintain some virtue in the, in the, in this forest of thorns where it's really difficult to negotiate through, you know, and um, and with Freeman's story being sidelined for thirteen years and four months or whatever for trying to do the right thing, you know, um, those are the you know those are the characters that that. Are, Think we need to look at more than the Omars and saying, "Oh, it's really a bad light on our city." Or, you know, you know, uh, you don't just look at the negative side. Look at the people who are trying to do it, and look at their faces. They're, you know, not every black person on this show is a bad guy. What do you, I mean? The, the, the night of the of the uh, <clears throat> Baltimore premiere, mm-hmm. you were there. Yep. And there was a demonstration outside. That's right. With some yeah. very angry black folks saying, saying, you know, don't don't sell, uh, uh, don't don't black actors. What was they saying? Black actors uh, don't sell your souls to these white uh, storytellers or whatever, you know. And my response to them was, write the stories, brother. Write the stories. Yeah, if there's a black cat, write the story. I'll do it. You know, it has nothing to do with uh, uh, with with in their minds, selling out. You know, the blessing of, of David is that regardless of what uh, clothes that soul is wrapped in, the stories that the man's telling uh, are stories that just need to get be gotten out there. He's not doing because he's a white dude that's trying to do this. Right. For, no, the story just needs to be told. But to me... That- I'm really curious about your thoughts about that. I was going to ask Bob the same thing, and, and Andre, if I talked to him, is that the complexities of race in the wire. Mm-hmm. I mean, here you have some people in the black community upset about the wire and the images it portrayed, people mm-hmm. say. 
that the majority of people who wrote The Wire were white. Mm -hmm. um, that portrayed, the, and the, the, the black characters were a spectrum of humanity mm -hmm. in that thing. Yeah. In, and how, you took, how Simon and Ed took the question of honor and justice uh, and living by a certain code, you could be a cop who lived or didn't live by the code, you could be somebody who's honorable or not honorable, who was a drug dealer, it didn't make any difference. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I just wonder about the complexity of that. What, what, do, what do you think, how, did that, how does that fit into your conception of film and acting and the portrayal and the world mm -hmm. of, of blackness in our country and what, and, and what this... What the wire, how the wire was part of that. Well, you prefaced that by saying it was complicated. And it yes, was, it's complicated. It's really, really, it really I'm having a hard time even forming the question. Yes, it's I, so complicated. Yeah, that's right. It, it's, uh, um, so let's start with this. Um, the way that um, uh, those of, a, a, of, of the fairer race look at those of the darker <laughs> race. Um, um, I think is... And vice versa is uh, is pretty much um, governed by our history, you know. And in one respect, you know, when we look at the history, and I say the history that we are taught here in America, and it's kind of myopic, because, um, and I understand it has to be for a nation to maintain its integrity, regardless of whether the uh, it's true or false, or however they look at the accidents that happened in, in history, you know, their interpretation of affect us all, you know. Um, and so uh, trying to, as a black actor in America, trying to move in this, uh, uh, in this world or in this, uh, yeah, in this world, carrying our history with us, you know, the pain as well as the guilt you know, the anger as well as the forgiveness, you know. Uh, um, it is a, uh, it's hard. It's, it's, um, it's something that you, you, you'll hit on for a while, but you have to push to the side because at this point in time, it's about this particular gig. It's about this particular job. The Wire allows us, you know, and some other pieces allow us, August Wilson's things, for example, allow us to access that history and to use some of that, uh, uh, that American uh, collective consciousness or work within that, you know, um, to slowly move boundaries, break down barriers, change, uh, change stereotypes. Uh, and it seems like, uh, like as black actors, you got to find some way inside yourself to sometimes use these moments that, uh, uh, in a cathartic kind of way. The things that, that Freeman has said that Clark has always wanted to say, you know, mm -hmm. you know uh, following the money, for example. You know, if you're trying to deal with a drug problem, go to where the problem started. You know, follow the money. And if you follow the money, you might wind up in Annapolis. If you follow it further, you might wind up in Washington, D.C. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know. Um, but in the main, like, you know, uh, in, in doing that, you know, uh, there's a sort of uh, unsaid collective consciousness that that is 
so they, uh, uh, a white, This is the this is the White House. <laughs> this is the White House, and so you know, all of this is uh, uh, affects how uh, um, how we uh, how we approach the roles or or, or 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 not. You know, there's you know the reason why it's complicated is because you we have in the black community people who are educated, people who are not. People who want to act because they want to be stars. They're sort of driven you know, mm -hmm. by ego. They're uh, 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 black actors who want to tell stories, just want to tell stories. They're black actors who want to tell stories like The Wire. Uh, um, you know, they're black actors who want to tell stories like Bamboozled. Even within the community, you know, even within the community, sometimes that stuff works for us, and sometimes it works against us. Against us. Uh, for myself, um, not having been in America for a long time, when I came back, <coughs> I was blown away by uh, what I saw on television. That looked like you know, uh, everyone's saying, "Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of black actors working." I'm looking, and I'm thinking, like, this is the stuff that I was told in the '60s was degrading to black people. You know, why do we take off Amos and Andy? You know, when you when you have, uh, um, and it's with respect that I say this about Eddie Murphy, when you got Eddie Murphy being James Brown in a hot tub, hello, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, what I'm saying? You know um, how can you talk about you know, the blackface you know, as being degrading when you know you can turn on uh, uh, most of the stuff that was coming out of the '80s. And see that same thing happening, you know, in in the eighties when we were arguing about fighting as those things in the forties and fifties. Right? So it's a um, so from one generation to the next generation as well. In all of this, makes it even more complicated how we're going to communicate uh, uh, some integrity and move the whole thing forward. Not just for black people, but for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we've all got to find a way to accept. That what happened in entertainment in the change of the last century is valid for today. If you cut that part of it off from yourself, what are you left with? You don't know where where you're coming from. You know, those guys. Burt Williams was was uh, was a blackface, but he was a mime. He was a mime. This cat did amazing things, from what we're told. You know, uh, uh, Billy Daniels, who did that old black magic. Told me that this cat was fantastic. You know, he, you know, he was like the Marcel Marceau, you know, uh, uh, in blackface. You know, there must have been a reason why why Peel said, "Yeah, you, you come here." Mm -hmm. You know, because he had the craft, he had the art. It wasn't just about, uh, uh, you know, the rabbit foot minstrels with Ma Rainey doing, you know, uh, shuck and jive kind of vaudevillian kind of stuff. There was something beyond that. You know. And it's something that, you know, as, as black people, we shouldn't be afraid of. But when it's put against, when it's set within this collective consciousness of America, then yes, you can see how it's degrading. You can see how that, uh, how that works. But then if you take those very same faces and you go to Africa, you see uh, the black face kind of motif and you see the distorted body dances and it has a different meaning. You know, they're not doing any, you can see that they're not doing anything else except one's on a stage at the Lafayette Theater in Harlem and the other one's in the bush in Uganda. The lineage becomes clear at some points. Yeah. 
when you look at that. It's a, it's, it's, you know, that, that, that question is, 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 is really uh, not only complicated, but it's, but it's loaded because... It is loaded. You know, there's a, a where do you begin, you know, because this train is moving kind of fast. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's interesting that people like, <clears throat> like the writers who created this, David and Ed, mm-hmm. this, they have a sense of where this country is going. Their own interpretation of it. Yes, yeah. It's very much inside the wire. Mm-hmm. Their view of American capitalism, their view of yeah. of race in America. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, but they're tackling it head on. They're not shying away from it. Yeah, that's right. You know, they're not saying, "Okay, we've done our black thing, and I'm going to go do something else." Mm-hmm. They're not leaving it. Yeah, no, it's 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 because it's about America. It's about America. When the, you know, the war is, is now in Europe. You know, and the feedback that I get in Europe is really interesting as well, because uh, you, I get feedback from uh, from Africans who are living in England, looking at blacks in America on the wire. Their point of view is completely different, you know, to uh, to the Englishman's point of view of the wire, you know, um, and to all of them. But uh, my answer is that the reason why this works for you is because there's something in your environment, in your community, that resonates true with the wire. The wire is not just Baltimore. The wire holds a mirror up to you and your city. You will find everything wrong in your city that you find wrong in the wire. And that's why you're upset. And that's why you're intrigued to find out about it. And that's what keeps you there. It's those storylines, you know, keep you there for sure. But the politics of what's happening in, in, uh, in, uh, uh, with the mayoral or the gubernatorial race, hello. It's right there. It's right there, you know. So now what about, you, you said earlier, you grew up in Englewood, New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you, you made some reference earlier to your dad in Greenwich Village. Mm-hmm. So what about you? What about you? What about your family? What was your dad doing in Greenwich Village? How did you grow up? All right, my father was a, my father was a commercial artist. Um, uh, on, actually, on that side of the family, they're all artisans of, of some sort or the other. His mother, I remember as a child, had a potter's wheel and a, and a, um, and a kiln in her basement in Brooklyn. Really? You know, um, his father was a master carpenter. So you know, they, you know that's that's all of that. I think fed my father. Um, he won a one of those you know drawing contest contests, uh, which was to go out, and the prize was to go out to California to work with Disney, right? And he won that at a very young age, back in the thirties. He was born in nineteen twenty-three, so you know, somewhere in the thirties, he wasn't even twenty years old. You know. Um, the story goes that when they saw this black face, they gave him the second prize <laughs> rather than give him the first prize. But I don't think that deterred my dad, right, who, um, who was an artist. It was just part of his life. You know? um, Grandma would rent out rooms in her house in Brooklyn you know, to musicians to come and rehearse it. You know? um, there's some story floating around that side of the family that Charlie Parker was down there blowing in, you know, in Brooklyn 
you know, just uh, rehearsing. You know, what else he was doing, I don't know. <laughs> you know, but like, so my father comes up in this kind of in this kind of environment. You know, um, and the village at that point in time, you know, was was like a cultural center for you know for all. When I say cultural, I really mean cultural because you had European life coming on in. You had the history of of blacks having been there already. Uh, it was a village um, that seemed to be safe for artists, you know, to be whomever they wanted right. to be, you know. And so Pops is in that. And so um, we grew up, you know, uh, we grew up with that, uh, in that kind of environment, you know, where, you know, um, we were not listening to AM radio, you know, we'll listen to uh, Django Reinhardt, you know, Big Bill Bronzy, uh, uh, um, the Dandridge Sisters, mm -hmm. you know, uh, of course, you know, the mainstays, Ellington, Basie, you know, Ella, um, Stan Getz is coming on into the vibe, you know, so that was the music that was around the house, you know. So, you know, uh, with all of us coming up in that kind of vibe, you know, when, when we get older, we kind of want to go where, where, you know, where, did, where did Pops get that, <laughs> you know? So, uh, I was born in New York, but raised in New Jersey, but it was always, you know, trying to get back, trying to get back to the city, you know? Uh, and where we grew up uh, in, in, the, in the city was next to where the polo grounds used to be, you know? Uh-huh. Out of where uh, there's a, a Democratic... Um, Congressman from New York who uh, uh, who's in the same you know in the same projects I think he came out of there as well um, so uh, I think that, I think that my parents always wanted to be in that kind of uh, uh, that kind of environment when we moved from New York to New Jersey we moved to Englewood and Englewood has always been an, an artist's colony as far as you know, uh, uh, from before Hollywood moved from Fort Lee to Hollywood you know only because it was so close to the city for those musicians to work, you know. So, you know, in our town, there was Dizzy Gillespie, Tito Puente, around the corner were, were the Adelies, you know, hmm. Mickey and Mickey Baker, Mickey and, and Sylvia Robinson around the corner, the Isley Brothers are there, Travolta's live over there, you know, uh, went to school with, with the Bennett's boys, with Daigle, uh, with Tony Bennett's kids. So, like, this is our environment. This is how we just grew up. That's all we knew. You know, and that was Englewood. You know, uh, so um, what was your question? <laughs> I was asking. About, I was just curious about you. You, you, know, you mentioned your dad in Grand Village. I was just curious about how you grew up, where you grew up, yeah. and and you know, and, and, and what influenced you as a, yeah. as a as a young guy to end up where you are now. Well, that, it's all of that. It's all of that. It's all of that. You know, um, uh, and I kind of also not. You know, I always sort of uh, on, on my mother's side. You know, that's that's African and Native American from you know from Georgia, South Carolina. Coming up the uh, coming up that route, so this mixture of two, of two almost cultures because my maternal my paternal uh, grandparents were from Barbados, and so you know uh, I grew up with not a buddy. It's more like how you doing, mate? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right. it wasn't an alley, it was a muse. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Different. Those are just yeah. It was till later on I thought, oh. And I didn't know that you. I, I I have to apologize since I was reading about this. They, they you wrote five guys. Name Mo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm working on another one right now because this is the centenary of uh, 
of Louis Jordan. So the BBC have asked me to put something together for him over there, which is what I wanted to talk to you about um, again. That's phenomenal. You know, because... I, I love Five Guys Nemo, by the way. Yeah. I saw it in the city when it was on. It was my first foray into writing anything, you know, and it was a blessing that it came up like that. You know, um, I knew that people wanted to party, but I, I also wanted to do... I had done a series of these things in, in London. You know, uh, I worked with, with my mentor, whose name was uh, uh, Ned Sharon, who passed away uh, in the beginning of October of last year. Um, and Ned brought to America, that was the week that was. Right? I mean, he was a, a satirical writer, you know, uh, Oxford, Cambridge educated, right. you know, really establishment. but. Always, you know, just a little bit sticking his foot in the establishment's butt, you know. And uh, so, um, <laughs> he being my mentor also opened up you different ways to to try to do uh, to celebrate uh, Louis Jordan's life, you know. And or rather than saying, and then he wrote this, and then he did that, it was more about just just trying to get the persona of Louis Jordan as this fun-loving musician who had all these little anecdotes that are set to music that would address any situation in your life. Love of the city, energy. So, so what? How did you end up in? How did you end up in London? How did you go from a, a young guy who wanted to be be in the arts, come out of Englewood, New York, end up in New York, in, in London? Well, an expat. Well, if you're if you're um, if you're that young person that wants to get into the arts and particularly theater, even for America, you know the roots of theater are in London, are in England. Um, I was in Paris before that. I had gone to visit my brother who moved to Paris in about 68, I think. He was at Goddard College and went over there to, uh, uh, to do some research um, on Isidore Duncan's uh, brother, Bernard, who was, a, who was an artisan. Again, artisans. It just, they just move in our, in our, in our family. And um, he never came back. <laughs> so uh, in 71, <laughs> I, it was... I was asked to, if I'm going to go to Paris, make sure I bring Tony back for, uh, for, um, for Thanksgiving. He was doing the show Hair in, in, uh, in Paris. And I had been auditioning for it here in America. And I didn't know T was, was in it when I was auditioning for it. I auditioned in New York, in Washington, in Boston, in San Francisco. It was just like, they saw me coming. It was like a laugh. Hey, here comes Clark. Hey, bring him on in. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I got over there, you know, and uh, something happened where my brother didn't show up, and I walked on stage and took his place, you know. And so that was my first professional. Day. That was where that was in. That was in Paris. That was in Paris. Right? Um, while I was there, I had met um, uh, uh, Leroy Wiggins and, and Tyrone Scott, who were both in the companies and worked with uh, um, Motown backing singers and all this kind of stuff over the years. And uh, they had actually come to England before. And as we, uh, before I did, uh, it was actually th on their invitation that I came to England to just demo a song. Well, I come and we demo the song, and I swear it was like a film where David Platts, who's the head of Essex Music, was leaving the bathroom and heard us rehearsing and asked who they were. Uh, they just demoed a song. Well, why don't we just see what we can do for them? And in two weeks... The last thing in my mind was, was thinking about songwriting. I had signed a songwriting contract, a publishing contract, a recording contract, and now I'm 
a recording artist with a group in Paris, in, in London called the Majestics. <laughs> oh my God! You know. Uh huh. So uh, we stayed together for about three years, and when that group uh, disbanded, I went right back into theater, and uh, and I didn't move from that because that's what I wanted to do. Theater was you know, from the very beginning. And I've noticed that when I was reading a, a little piece on you yesterday, just it was very short. And that's where I saw the five guys named Mo thing that uh, actually Justin sent over to me. Um, was it? I was really. It was interesting when I looked at your theater work in London, and I looked at your theater work in America. Maybe I had this wrong. This my, my first impression was that the theater work in London was almost non-racial, colorblind. The theater work in America seemed to be mostly black. That's right. That was that struck me. Yeah. As I looked at that. Well, yeah. It's it's. I wish more people could see that because um, what that indicates for me, or one way to, to, to look at that as a, as a type of barometer for theater and the arts, is that theater is a part of British culture. Theater being you know, the craft of storytelling you know, is a part of British culture. It's educational and it's in, and, and it's and it's entertaining. It's part of their culture. In America, it's a commodity. It's not part of our culture. It's a commodity. And so, I, as a soul wrapped in a black body, become that commodity on that particular shelf. Right. So, if you want that, let's get that from that shelf and put it there because those are the components that this country looks at because it's a commodity. Whereas in London, you know, I'm playing Sky Masterson. Right. Opposite of a, a, a white Sarah, you know, unheard of. You know, I'm playing, uh, um, you know, Daryl Van Horn, you know, um, in Witches of Eastwick. You know, to have a black devil in America will send all other kinds of things. To have a black devil in England is just, so what? He's playing the devil. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, um, um, it's 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 nuances like that in the arts that keep me there, you know. Allows me to go ahead and uh, and just play. It's it's about theater, and that's why they call it a play. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> it don't get much simpler than that, <laughs> you know. So um, um, even coming back here, you know that you know I I I, I do find it you know, find it hard. Uh, uh, to get back into this racial mindset, you know, um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't make me any less uh, uh, politically aware of what's happening or with black people here in America. Um, it doesn't uh, um, mean that I. I I have to just do black jobs. I'm going to continue to try to keep breaking down these barriers here in America because they need to be broken down. You know, I have spent time in Africa. I know what Africa is about. I'm not a black person in America saying I'm an African American and have never stepped foot off of the block. You know, I'm coming to it with an enormous amount of experience as to who and why I am and where I am here. You know, uh, but it still is a drag to, uh, you know, to, 
you know, just have to play the black parts, you know, uh, uh, here like that. And, for, and having said that, you know, I did this film called Mona Lisa with Neil Jordan, and I put it to Neil at that point in time, I said, you know, I, I don't want to play another pimp. <laughs> I'm tired of doing this because those are the kind of roles that I was getting that were beginning to come to me in, in England. And, and, uh, and this particular one was one that was nasty and insidious and evil. And at the end of the show, it was written that he, you know, he just disappears into the night. And I put it to him that, hey, you know, a cat like this needs to be squashed, right? So they changed the ending of that, you know, to have this black uh, 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 criminal killed. Well, I didn't shoot another film for 10 years. <laughs> you did not. I didn't, you know. And I can't, you know, and I'm, and nothing was said about it. It's just that that's how things went, you know. And I, you know, I was saying, it makes me think of the character you just did in The Wire, Lester Freeman. Mm-hmm. He was probably the most deeply intellectual character in the whole ensemble of characters. Yeah, yeah. Which I really liked. Me too. <laughs> Me too. You know, when I was saying earlier that, that, uh, um, he allowed, uh, Freeman allowed Clark to say things that, that he probably would not normally have the platform to say, you know, uh, or, or to behave in a way you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, and what was good about Freeman for myself is that he had all the exposition. He's the cat that explained things. He explained how to do the research to find out where the money is, you know. He's the cat that said, take a look at that nail. That nail is different from that one over there. It's nice being that character because uh, for myself, I had to understand what Ed uh, um, and David were writing in those first, uh, those first couple of seasons about breaking down how these things work, how the, how the, uh, um, how the wiretap works. You know, and what they're doing, they, they, they just can't fabricate it. It's got to be legitimate, you know. Um, so I'm learning through the process as well. Um, before I did this, before I did this, you know, if, if someone said follow the money, I wouldn't know where to begin. But because I've had to explain to Sidnor and to the other youngsters how to do that, or because Freeman had to, now Clark knows it. Uh-huh. Well, that's part of being an actor, too. Learn, you learn yeah. a lot as an actor. Yeah. If you, you really know. do it right, you learn you a lot as an actor. You will learn. You, you know. learn a lot. His character was the embodiment of intellect and integrity. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, and that's a blessing. I thank God that I got that role, you know, in that, in that respect, because I think that it's, uh, that's what, uh, I think, being outside of America and coming back to it allows me a certain um, viewpoint or, or vantage point uh, to view from on how to uh, celebrate mm-hmm. these kind of people, you know, and how important they are. Um, <clears throat> if he gets angry, it's because he's got a really good reason to be angry. You know, there used to be a time when people would fight to solve their differences. Now they just take out a gun and, you know, that's the end of it. You know, so life becomes cheap. But for Lester, life is very important. You know, and the quality of your life is very important. 
you know, and it's really for all of us to get this machine called America working properly. You know, that's Lester's. For Clark, this thing called America is something that has been uh, sold to the rest of the world, and it's a damn good idea because the rest of the world wants it. But we've got to get it right in order to make sure that the product that we're selling you know, has the integrity that we say that that we mm -hmm. say it has. You know, and it's not easy. It's not easy to manage a nation of what three hundred some odd million people. You know, um, so uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's nice having having warned Lester, um, and to have uh, you know, to be attributed with his intellect. His intellect is not Clark's intellect. I'm an actor, you know, but he's opened up my eyes, you know, um, and I uh, and I have friends now because of that who can you know help facilitate some of the changes that that are necessary, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Baltimore, whether it's up and down this whole Eastern Corridor, uh, um, with the drugs and the gangs and all of that kind of stuff, you know, that uh, that. Uh, um, there's not only uh, uh, diminishing and neutralizing our community, it's having a knock-on effect to other communities around as well. You know, so it's not always just a racial thing. Uh, you know, sometimes people say it's a racial thing. Most of the time I think it's more an economic thing that has a, a sort of racial uh, um, uh, cover put on top of it. The problem is economic. You know, the problem is, is education. You know, uh, um, and when those things are addressed properly or not even just seen to be addressed, but are actually addressed properly, then I think, you know, then I think we wind up living the American, we can live the American dream properly. Because right. you know, there'd be no reason for anyone to be angry unless it's just your own shit that you're carrying with you. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter whether you're black, white, Native American, Indian, or from uh, an immigrant from Europe, you know. I agree, yeah. You know. You've heard about the film, The Wire? They're making a movie, The Wire? Well, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> I like the idea. Well, I, it was sort of being floated around last year, you know, because uh, it just it's, it seems like it's so popular, you know, that uh, yeah, it could it could easily, you know, uh, go in that direction. What the storyline would be, where it would go from here, it can't be episode, you know, it can't be season six, you know, it has to be an entity unto itself that addresses all of this stuff again, you know. So there you have it. A wire movie? We'll have to see. I wrapped up my conversation with Clark and left his Charles Village row home as his mother came downstairs to start her day. They shared a long and a deep hug as she made her way to the kitchen for a cup of coffee.